Hello, my name's Andrew Kaler, and you are listening to Andrew Kaler Recordings. It's been a little while, been a little over a month, I think. Uh, that's that's on me. I, I did have some interviews set up, but they fell through because I uh, scheduled poorly. I'm going to try to be better on that in the future. But more importantly, I was also sick as a dog for about the last two and a half weeks. I think I had a cold. Uh, I don't know. The, the season change definitely didn't help. Um, but I, my voice was not sounding very good, or at least by my standards. And I also just like was not in the mood. I was coming home to going to bed, uh, not doing much else. So, but we're back. And I'm talking to my friend, John Katsanakis. Katsanakis. John Katsanakis. Fun name to say, fun guy to talk to. John's got a new book coming out, or I guess I should say he's got an old book coming out again. He's doing a reprinting of his poetry collection, Pomegranate, which I am very excited about. It's my favorite thing he's done, and this new copy, I've seen some sneak peeks. It's really, really cool looking. He's collaborated with somebody to do some amazing artwork. It's all color. Uh, it's hardcover. It's it's gorgeous. I'll include some pictures when I post this. Um, so we talk about that, and we talk about writing in general and some of our influences. We talk about what it means to be a fan. We talk about the COVID vaccine and all the hoopla around that. Um, yeah, we, we, we cover quite a bit. So, I think that about covers it. There's some technical issues, as always. As always, apologies, but not sorries, <laughs> as I've never said before, because that's not how you say things. Whatever. Anyway, happy to be back. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Stay safe out there. All right, so... Uh, John, hello. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. I, I'm i like surprised that you're alive. Yeah, it's 4 a.m. my time. Just got my second shot of the COVID vaccine. I went with Pfizer uh, and it is kicking my ass. Can I swear on this? Please. Okay, it's kicking my ass. So really looking forward to what the next day is gonna be so so you've got like you've got the sweats you've got the aches uh you that you've got the chip in your arm right so now you're seeing 666 right like that's it that's it eyes have turned red government's tracking me now because they weren't before on my phone at all times but now they are (laughs) right and that's what they wanted all along you know they thought okay you know most human beings, they don't spend all day with their phones. You know, most they put their phone away and then, you know, just use it when they need to call friends or family. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't read countless news articles in the last 10 years about our phone addiction. So just to be sure, they stuck it in a vaccine and put it in our blood. Well, and you know, half the time you want to call your friends, but somebody else is on the line anyway. So you just have to wait until they're done. <laughs> It's just all ridiculous, man. It really is. I I just saw today that they said something like um, some crazy number, like 90% of people can now get the vaccine or something. And it's like readily available. And uh, there's there's now it seems like the biggest issue is going to people just not wanting it, which I'm like, you know, for once, 
that's like i feel like that's kind of an unusual american issue it's like okay guys here you go healthcare. and we're like you know what i'm all right (laughs) no thanks not for (laughs) me actually it is wild i don't know and you know it's gonna come down to uh i was just having this argument with my parents actually um who my mom has gotten the vaccine she's all good to go and i finally talked my stepdad into doing it so he's getting it on saturday but he was so opposed to it and so i was kind of like what happens when they won't let you on a plane without it right because that's coming at some point they're not gonna let you fly without it there are multiple countries that won't let you in without the vaccine and they're they're all you know they're that's an established thing already. You can't go to right, several- right. This isn't this isn't a new. This isn't just a new COVID government control thing. Like you were already not allowed to go to public school if you didn't have your chickenpox shot. This is right. not. Yeah, I mean, there are tons of countries that bar international travel unless you can prove that you have certain vaccines to begin with. So the COVID vaccine being required to enter some of these countries is not a new thing. It's not a new angle. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where I just think there's something I must be missing because to me this seems obvious, but th- there's just this seems like you know maybe there isn't as big of a pushback as I think there is, but it seems like there's a fairly decent pushback, and I you know I I understand people are like it's a new thing, who knows what the long term effects are, and I'm like yes, that's true, that is also true for getting COVID. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. You know, I live in North Dakota, um, so everybody here is pretty, pretty uh, far on that Trump train. And there's a pretty large, you know, kind of pushback to it here. Um, And it's interesting because we were one of the states, ironically enough, to have the vaccine most readily available to everyone. Um, Like, for example, the fact that I could get you know, my vaccine so early that I was eligible so early. There are a lot of people in my predicament, young, healthy, you know, um, no uh, compromising factors who are not eligible for the vaccine. I don't work with like food or anything. I'm not Mm -hmm. a frontline worker. So in a lot of states, they can't even, if you were me, you couldn't get the vaccine yet. But I was eligible here as early as like three weeks ago. Like North Dakota has just been pumping these vaccines out, but the problem is a lot of people don't want them. So I got to get in line and get my vaccine so much earlier here because a, the governor here is, he's Republican, but he, he leans a little left as far as the country is concerned, but he was like, we're getting all these vaccines and we're going to be the best at vaccinating our people. And then on top of that, Everybody's like, well, we don't want it. So we can have all these vaccines for no reason, apparently. Wow. Well, so you, you kind of just touched on this a little bit, but I feel like you'll, you'll, uh, for people who know, you're from Florida, but you've spent a significant amount of time now up north. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like you would probably have a better time do. What is with people up in the north loving Trump? Because so one of my roommates in college, uh, he was from Maine, and he said in Maine there was this dude that had like he had a big like four like big you know four wheel drive truck, and he would carry this huge trailer that just had a huge build the wall, uh, thing that he had made, 
And it's like, what is this dude in Maine so amped about building a wall for? And again, like in North Dakota, I'm like, okay, like, what are you guys like? What is Trump selling that you guys are just like, ooh, this is my guy? I I, I don't get it. <laughs> so out here, um, people are deeply religious, um, and then they are white, and I like I hate I, you know it, that's just those, what it is. I, I, I hate that saying, is those are the like, demographics. I, like I don't want to generalize and be like, oh, white people like Trump, but Trump's base is majority white. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, white so, evangelicals so that's right and like a lot of the things here that the country as a as a whole is reckoning with is uh white noise <laughs> to north dakota sure. right north dakota is the only state in the country that barack obama did not visit uh it is frequently for people who visit all 50 states the 50th state in fact a popular <laughs> a popular tourist like item is our shirts that say like oh i like i visited the 50th state you know like that's something that our state owns and sells uh, <laughs> the idea that we're like the last choice and if you google number one reason like to visit north dakota um the number one reason that people come to north dakota and this is a true fact that i learned when i moved here four years ago is they're in the wrong state they are <laughs> trying to go to South Dakota because that's where Mount Rushmore is. And they end up in North Dakota. So, and the people here like that. They like being removed from the problems of the country. So when we talk about a lot of the things that are prominent or pressing concerns socially, you know, Black Lives Matter, for example, you know, uh, the uh, quality of genders, the transgender rights, gay marriage, gay rights, all of that stuff, just to the people here, it's, they don't care. It's just that <laughs> stuff on TV. Yeah, it's, it's exactly, that's exactly right. It's like watching a movie to them. It has no real world application to their life. So for them, I mean, you've got Joe Biden or previously you've got Hillary Clinton. And I mean, the Democrats at large have really staked themselves as a party, in my opinion, uh, entirely based on social issues that have zero impact to any. Well, not any, but but the majority of folks here in North Dakota. Sure. Um, And Donald Trump's whole platform, you know, he was like, I'm going to bring jobs back. I'm going to build a wall and we're going to be secure and immigration, you know, won't be a problem, blah, 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 blah. And here, the big thing is oil. There are so many people who make their, their money from oil here. And Biden has already pissed off a significant portion of the state with the Keystone pipeline debacle. Right. You know, that's a lot of money that people are not getting anymore. That's a lot of people like out of jobs. So when you look at Trump here, it's, it's the stuff that is important to me as a voter has just no impact to them. Yeah. They, they, all they care about is the money aspect of it. So it, it, in that sense, it makes sense. Well, and I, I, I do think uh, you were saying the Democrats have pretty much staked themselves as the party of social issues. I think, I think Joe Biden getting in here is kind of just a great example of why they do that. 
because ultimately, like, they're going to pretend like they have policy differences with the Republicans, but they really don't. Like, they, they don't want right. they don't want to give us health care. They don't even want they don't want to extend Medicare. They don't. They don't want. They don't want to cut the Pentagon budget. They want to add more to it. You know, they're basically the same. It's just one people's like gay people are all right, and the other people are like ah, I don't know about it. Right. You know, I I wonder if you've seen this meme that's going around Twitter right now, but it's like uh, choose an actor who gave a really good performance as a hero. Yes. And as yep. a villain. Yep. And in my draft, I ultimately chickened out. I couldn't do it. But I had Joe. I had I had Joe Biden as a candidate, and then Joe Biden as president. That's great. And I was I almost sent it, and then I was like, you know, I'm honestly not prepared for the backlash that this is going to bring to me, because Twitter is not a place for nuance. Yeah, no, it's I, I really I don't see it too much from people I'm friends with, which of course is not a shock. I don't see too many. I, I don't I don't think I know like one Joe Biden uh, stand. But you you do definitely see like a tw- like a tweet will like go viral, making fun of Joe Biden or just saying talking some shit or something, and somebody will be like, okay, but what was the alternative? And we're like, okay, buddy, we all know what the alternative was, <laughs> right? Like that's not just a four year pass to Biden, which is like what they want, of course, like right. But like, what was the alternative is not a pass to be shit. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, Absolutely. I could have worse is not a reason to not want better. Right, right. No, and, and ultimately, I, th- I think it is because those people are totally on his side in terms of just being very, very moderate. Like, Joe Biden is so moderate. Like, you know, 20 years ago, he may as well have been a Republican. He's just, like, slightly ahead of the issues uh, for the last 40 years. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's what and that's what being a Democrat is for ninety five percent of them. Yeah, you know, I read in, um, I think it was Obama's memoir, uh, Promised Land, that it was Joe Biden who pulled Barack Obama aside and said, "Listen, you have to be for gay marriage," because you know, Obama public uh, Barack Obama publicly was not when he assumed his presidency, and then he changed his tune while in office and uh, Obama writes that it was Biden who told him that he had to, you know, publicly be that way. So that's kind of interesting to me because it's exactly what you're talking about. He's just a little bit ahead. <laughs> of the right. Which I mean, when you've been doing it for as long as he is, it's kind of a predictable path to follow. I don't know right. if you saw, I don't know if you saw um, somebody tweeted something along the lines of, uh, Bernie Sanders wants to expand Medicaid now, but Hillary Clinton wanted to do it back in like 90 something. And Hillary quote tweeted it with like the, like the side eye emoji. Um, and so somebody quote tweeted Hillary's and ninety four or something. And somebody quote tweeted it and showed like Bernie from the same year advocating for Medicare for all. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, the thread, it's ridiculous as has chosen to like make one of her main things is that she has beef with Bernie Sanders. <laughs> but it's I totally, great, I, I totally get it though because because you know Barack stole it from her the first time, and then Bernie stole it from her the second time. And if she's like out to publicly make fun of at least one person, it's gonna be Bernie. Like right, 
she she can't say Barack stole it from me, but she has said it's Bernie's fault. <laughs> yeah, you know we're gonna just blame Bernie for her inability to be a a good candidate. Well, for having like the like a record low turnout, like like the lowest percentage turnout in the last like hundred years or something like that. It's pretty. It was pretty bad. Yeah, that's somehow Bernie Sanders' fault. Right. Even though you know he campaigned his ass off for her, but whatever. I'm not surprising yeah. anybody with these facts. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary Clinton's not listening to this. Yeah, I have to imagine the people who sit down and actually listen to your podcast are of a very similar bend um, right. to you, or or at least they've heard it from me so many. Get it? We get it, Andrew. Right. <laughs> My goodness. Well, to to transition from the political uh, to the artistic the one of the reasons i wanted to have you on here besides the fact that this is a slight tangent um i you're my podcast with you like for my old podcast like top three in my opinion uh favorite of mine um going to specific i mean i won't go to specifics that i don't want to hurt anybody else's feelings but top three <laughs> absolutely so like that was the number one reason i was excited to have it on here but well, i very much appreciate that it touched me <laughs> um but also you have uh a new piece of work coming out i guess i guess we did I, i'll probably i'll give you like an intro like my own little intro in the beginning so people kind of know who you are but um yeah you got a new a new book coming yeah. out so do you want to you want to briefly or however long you want to talk about that <laughs> sure um yeah so three years ago four years ago it's kind of hard to keep track three years ago i released pomegranate which was a collection of poetry that i arranged in a novelistic fashion or at least i attempted to um i had about 400 something poems that i whittled down to 33 as like good for publication and just kind of sent it off into the world Um, and the response to it was really good i mean including from you who you know, you never bullshit me. So I, I know that if it's, if you say it's good, it's good. Um, and by far and away, it's like the most successful thing I've ever put out there. Um, and I honestly think it's probably the greatest piece of writing I'll ever do. So <laughs> <laughs> just like pulling a spade a spade there. I hate to say I peaked at, you know, 21 or <laughs> 23 but either way i think it's true so um i have a friend here in north dakota who's very artistically uh talented her name is danny little and she and i like collaborate you know here and there on like some art projects and i had the idea to redo pomegranate um like in a way that i couldn't do before uh one of the big pieces that I wasn't able to accomplish in the first publication was I really envisioned uh, a lot of the text in red um, because again like at 22 23 I had very lofty ideas of like what what I was trying to accomplish but the long and short of it is anytime the love object speaks I wanted her dialogue to be in red as kind of a symbol for you know love is a religion and the damaging aspect of that like when you treat your partner like a deity in a very literal sense so i wasn't able to do that the first time around just based on the limitations of self-publishing 
but I found a way not only to make it work this time around, but also to do like a hardcover with a dust jacket, full blown color illustrations that Danny is doing. And then what really kind of kicked this thing into gear is I was cleaning out my office and I found this little notebook from my last year in New York. And it had all these little poems that I'd written in there, like in diners at 3 a.m. while brokenhearted and sad. And most of it, of course, was drivel, but some of it was like good stuff, like stuff that probably would have ended up in pomegranate the first time. So I thought, oh, hey, I'm just going to stick this in there, too, as more or less the like the B-sides, you know, and slap this together as some kind of like really high quality product do a really limited print run to justify the cost because to print in full color in a hardcover with a dust right, jacket right. is a very expensive process. And so I was trying I to think of, yeah, I was trying to think of like how I could really justify how much the book would need to be. And then I, it hit me because I've been in my personal life collecting like some rarer editions of books and like limited print runs. And then I thought, what if I just act like I'm cooler than I am and do a limited print run <laughs> of this book? <laughs> and so then the whole thing just kind of came together. Uh, Danny put together some really awesome illustrations. You know, I did like a Indiegogo, which is like Kickstarter, but a little different. It's like better geared toward like creative authors for <clears throat> like the pre-orders to get funding to print the book, which is not, you know, an inexpensive affair. Um, and then we've got an introduction from you in the book, which, hey. Hey, which really elevates the whole thing. Uh, you know, I sent it to my mom who is like a fan of my writing, of course, but is never afraid to be like, I don't like this. Like my right. mom can be pretty like, harsh. like, like a mother, like only a mother can. Right, right. She never, she never like would lie to me though. Like even recently I sent her something like maybe six months ago and she just wrote back like, not your best. Didn't like it. And I was like, <laughs> it's like fair. Okay, thanks. But she really likes pomegranate. And so she read your introduction and she thought, wow, thank, she, she told me, thank God your book is good. Because <laughs> this is excellent. She said, this is going to elevate the whole thing. And it's going to elevate the whole the whole book. So she's like, good thing the book itself is good. Or, or the introduction would be the best part of it. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, that's great to hear. Happy to hear it. So, yeah, we just closed the pre-orders last week. Um, I just got the funds released. So now I can order the books. The big question now to discuss with Danny is we were originally imagining like a 54 copy run, but I like, I almost want to cut that and make it even like smaller, um, sure. you know, because originally I wanted to do 33 and then my father talked me into doing more. Um, and I don't know why I let him do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was, you know, again, like, like that, uh, that's such a, that's such a mom move. And then also such a dad move. Yeah. He was like, no, no, you should do more. And so now after like the pre-orders, I think we would like, we would have either hit or gone over the 33 that I originally envisioned. I have to double check, but I almost just want to do like what's ordered and then plus five. 
that like I can like if people were like, oh, I, you know, I still want to get it. Okay, well, I have five copies sitting around then. But I don't, I, you know, I don't know that I want to be hawking this $50 book at 20 more sure. copies. Sure. So, yeah, there's like a desire to be done with it a little bit. Because some, it is a... someone someone comes over to your house and you've got like a box full of your own books. Right. Yeah. Why do you have those? Oh, because I was unable to sell it. Like I just yeah. <laughs> not trying to deal with the embarrassment of that. Um, and then I mean beyond that that uh, like I really want to just get to work on the Danny and I are working on another book, and so I'd really like to just plug all of my creative focus into that. Yeah. I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, every time I finish a book, I'm like, all right, cool. Let's get it out there. Let's get it done. And then I don't want to think about it like for a while. Like if somebody's like, oh, dude, I really enjoyed your book. I'm like, cool, great. Like I, I do genuinely appreciate that. But also I'm kind of done with that now. So right. yeah. And then the thing with Pomegranate, you know, and you've read it. So you can kind of understand where I'm coming from. It, but it's I've like... read it several times. <laughs> Thanks. It's just. It's like deeply personal and it is so often misunderstood. So I work in a bookstore for those who don't know, and my store stocks my book um, in the poetry section. And so more frequently than I would have personally liked, like financially, I love it, but per, like on a personal level, um, people will pick the book up off the shelf, like read a couple of poems and then be like, yeah, I want to buy this book. And then inevitably somebody in the bookstore will tell them, Oh, John wrote that book and John works here. And then they'll want to come back like in a week or two and talk to me about the book and how it made them feel. And I've never like nobody's ever come up to me and been like, this book was a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) This book was a piece of shit and you're clearly a piece of shit. Right. Right. But it's just like every time these people come up to me, uh, this this is going to sound like so ungrateful. And I don't mean it to sound that way, but. There's like such a fundamental misunderstanding of the, like the narrator of the book who isn't is sure. me, you know right. it's me, and um and this is why I'm really grateful for your introduction because for people who have never read the book before, like they'll read the introduction first and they'll go in with that mindset, but like the narrator is not meant to be likable or, <laughs> like right. he's not meant to be like the hero. The book is about how he was wrong. And how he, in a sense, deserves, like, what what comes for him. And um, that is not one time been the read that anybody has come to me with. <laughs> other than, <laughs> you know, everybody always comes to me feeling deeply sorry for this narrator. Me. Deeply sorry for me. Like, I want to distance myself from it because it's weird, but it is me. It's not like a fictional piece of writing. So, they always want to have, like, they have the sympathy for me and like, the hero's plight and, um, like, how, like, they always want to talk about the the woman in the book, like, she was in the wrong somehow. And that's, right, like, always right. difficult to talk about, A, because I'm, like, at work and I don't have time to get into it. <laughs> uh, and, like, and B, because, like, I'm at work and I don't, like, I can't just be telling people, like, no, you're dumb. <laughs> right, and right. I, and, like, I also, as an like, a creator and an author, have to distance myself from the way the book is read because, like, I yeah, I intended it this way. But everybody is reading it in a totally different light. Right. Um, and I have to respect that art is, mm, 
you know, perceived differently. I mean, it even comes down to like what I think are my favorite poems. Like Dinosaur Bones is my favorite poem. It's the opening poem in the book. And nobody has ever one time come to me and said, that's my favorite one. I wouldn't even even say top 10 for me. Yeah, see, it's crazy. The one I get the most is Opal about the engagement ring, which is like fine. Very cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like fine, I suppose. And that's the, you know, and that's the distance from it. Somebody is reading it and didn't live it. So there, like, there are certain things that connect for me having lived it that don't connect for other people. And that's been really interesting. But the hardest part of it definitely is like the idea that like I wrote this book and I'm supposed to be right. (laughs) Like throughout it, you know, it's supposed to be like messy and you're supposed to judge me. And you're supposed to at points like cringe at my actions and my words. And you're supposed to be like, man, you're kind of a fucking asshole. It's like, yeah, I am, you know, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's, and that's out there and it's in the world. And it's a weird thing to, to be out there. It makes me feel very vulnerable in a way that like, if I were to like this next book is not going to make me feel this way, (laughs) you know, (laughs) which is, which is nice. it's very exhilarating to be able to like the thought of me putting out. So the next book is going to be like, it's mythology and it's going to be like retellings of Greek myths or just like how great it is to be married. But like through the lens of Greek mythology, like (laughs) I can put that out there and I don't have to worry about like, how are people going to perceive me? Nobody's going to give a shit, man. It's going to be fine. Right. (laughs) So that's kind of freeing. Well, I I do. I think it's, um, I think, it's fair to say most people uh, read stories and even, you know, music, TV, movies uh, through that main character lens. And so it's like, oh, this is the main character. This is who I am in this story. And so, right. of course, then then they're the hero. And, you know, the book is so uh, personal and vulnerable. So, you know, I'm sure it's it's going to elicit those feelings in other people. Um, but then you know those feelings can also be kind of uncomfortable and then the last thing you want to do is have that be a reflection of yourself uh as the reader you just want to think oh like this guy's in the right the the bad feelings i'm feeling right now are not related to me they're they're that's him and uh and he should be feeling those things because he was wrong and (laughs) this this woman who has no voice in this story is obviously the villain because the person with no voice in my life is the villain because I'm the person, I'm the main character, and this person's the main character. We're the same. Yeah, you know, that's a, you know, that's a great read on that. I, I think um, it, it's funny because you read a fuck ton, probably more than just about anybody else I can think of that I'm friends with. And I also read a lot, but you read almost entirely fiction. I read almost entirely nonfiction, and yet I write fiction and you write... <laughs> I mean, you're I doing this, you're doing this mythology, but everything you've done previously is, has more or less been uh, nonfiction. And right. I, I do, I think it's funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even the mythology stuff is, it's not like full blown fiction, you know, in, in, in a certain sense, it's, I have to, I'm like knee deep in research of like ancient Greek texts, and like old mythology books, because I want to get it right because it's my culture um but there's also like the aspect of because my wife she studied 
like she got like she minored in ancient Greek in college and like her major oh, was in classical studies. And I didn't I'm, know that. I'm, yeah, so like in so the mythology thing is in the forefront and then in the background of that, because I was inspired by one of the poems I worked on, uh, I'm trying to tackle my first novel. And um, I think I have like a good shot at actually finishing it and like sitting down and writing it, but it would be about Hades, right? Oh, cool. So I was pitching it to her as she was sitting on the couch and I was pacing back and forth across the living room um, like I do. And I was going on and on and on and I finished my pitch and I looked at her and she was horrified, Andrew. Um, Just the look of utter revulsion on her face. And so (laughs) I said, what's up? You know, and she was like, I beg you, John, before you go down this road and you change all of this shit, she's like, please (laughs) go buy a mythology book. She's like, and just go through it. And I was like, I'm Greek. I can change whatever the fuck I want. It's my culture. (laughs) It's my, it's my, like, it's my playground to piss in. And Shangan was like, no she was like just go she was like just go through everything again just like really study all the stuff she was like and then change what you want if you really feel is necessary she's like but i'm begging you to please just like research it like a little bit more and so i've listened to her and now i'm like like i said like knee deep in all these texts which is more i haven't done research in like eight years you know what i mean sure so right it's right. like it's like a mode of thought that I'm so unaccustomed to. And I'm sitting there in my office at my desk with my like glasses on my nose, like combing through these old mythology books. And I just like, who the fuck am I? <laughs> what is this? It's so weird. That's super funny. I think I, I don't know if you saw my tweet about this, but I was writing uh, for a new project I'm working on that I'll probably never finish. Cause that's me. Uh, but my characters were swallowed by a giant worm and then i was like all right I don't, like i don't want them to exit the mouth i want them to go out the asshole of the worm and i was like okay so like they, they're gonna get to the asshole of the worm but like they would have to pass the heart because they went in the mouth right or wait where is a worm's heart so i'm googling like where are worms hearts like in comparison to their assholes and i'm doing this and i'm like wait why why am i doing this because like who's gonna read this and think well actually the, <laughs> the worm's asshole is <laughs> but with your but with your thing i think it, that's definitely one it's much more valid because people do want to actually give a shit about it but you know it's kind of like with uh tolkien where i mean of course you know he's it's a fictional world but he's still putting in tons of uh actual real things that are related to it and I think I think that really helps like draw people in. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's important to have some like key stuff right, some seminal stuff, you know. And I really wanted to change some like bedrock stuff. Um, and after reading, I, I've like I don't want to say I've acquiesced because that makes me sound like like reluctant to do so. <laughs> like I've seen the value in my wife's insight and her input and. Like quite some of the stuff I was going to change, I'm not changing anymore. Um, this doesn't mean I'm getting rid of all the stuff I wanted to change. Because what's the point in like retelling a story if I do it this the same that it's always been done, right? Like I want to fuck some shit up, right? But not as um, to the devastating degree 
but I had right. Already... You're gonna you're doing it you're doing it more more intentionally, right? Right. Which I think also gives it more weight. Doing what I can. Um, I going back to how you write uh, mostly well until now, but you wrote mostly write nonfiction. I write fiction. Right. I think it's funny because. Um, you know, like I could put a, I could put out a poetry book. I could do it. I write poetry sometimes, but man, it would just, it would just not be good. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it could be. I mean, like honestly, I, 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 I not, I'm not like trying to like undercut my talent. Like I've definitely written some poems and been like, this is decent, this is good. But if I did like a collection, like if, if I, it, I mean, obviously I couldn't do pomegranate because that literally, literally happened to you. That's your life. But if I did, if I just did some Andrew Kaler version of Pomegranate, absolutely not, absolutely not. Kay Lancaster and the Lakeside Makeout, man. That's you wrote that story. That's you. That's your story. It was my life, and you wrote it. And you I know, wrote but it, it, you wrote it very your, well. It's your story, though. I I just borrowed it. <laughs> See, if I if I tried to write down that story, I would just think John already told this better. Like John. <laughs> I told I wrote that from memory of a story you told though. You know, you lived it. I'm sure you could do it a little more justice. You and you wrote it from, from us both being pretty drunk when I was telling yes. the story. Yeah, like, we were like yeah. like three AM in the morning. Yeah. God, I remember that. It was me, you and Maddie. Yep. And Maddie fell asleep because she can't she can't hang. Can't hang. Hope you're listening to this, Maddie. You can't. She'll hang. definitely. She'll definitely listen to this, and she'll go. Yep, they're right. I can't. <laughs> you know, Maddie and I did a book club last year. I and, did know that. Yep. Yeah, and, I, and I've been like thinking about hitting her up again and asking her if she wants to do another book club. It's just that the work that we read last year was so weighty and so unexpectedly scholarly. You guys read How to Be Anti-Racist, right? Yeah, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Kendi. Um, the year break, I feel almost like was necessary between, sure. between like reading something else. That was so heavy. It was, yeah, unex- it was almost like a textbook. I was not prepared for it. I So I, I read it after Maddie read it because Maddie read it and said basically what you just said, um, where like this is almost more like a textbook than, uh, you know, just some what what people were calling it so because i'm reading it and i've i've pretty much only seen it uh either people are just like this is a good book you got to read it but not really talking about it or it's you know the people on the opposite end of the spectrum that are like this is communism america's going down this guy's the devil and and this is radical anti-white uh stuff and so i read it i read it over the course of like three days because i bought it for my friend for his birthday and his birthday was like a week away. And I was like, okay, so I have to read this before I give it to him because he takes forever to read. So I'm not going to wait for him to finish it. I need to read this book and finish it. So I, I just came home from work every day and just read it like from when I got home to when I went to bed. And every like it was great and I loved it. And like it was a lot more um, like it, it definitely had like a lot of scholarly stuff in it. But I also really appreciated his own personal story being included. But so like every I'm, I'm really enjoying it every every page. I'm like, OK, OK, where's where's the controversial part? Where's the controversial part? OK, like it's got to be getting controversial here soon. OK, <laughs> the book is now over. Like, yeah, 
I thought the book was incredibly tame in terms of like being controversial. Um, and I actually thought the most controversial thing about it would not be a controversy on the right, but on the left, because he dedicates an entire chapter to uh, being racist against white people. And right. like a very popular mode of thought on the left these days is that that is not possible. Right. And so I thought that was the most controversial thing in it is that you have like our country's leading expert on anti-racism writes a book about how to be anti-racist as a black man based on his experience, like lived experience as a black man and takes the time to put a whole chapter in there mm-hmm. about being racist against white, mm-hmm. white people. So that was the biggest surprise for me. Cause I was like, wow, I can't believe as many people are recommending this book, you know, on a certain, from a certain end of the spectrum as they, as they are. Well, in regarding that specific chapter as well, um, just like the level of detail he goes into on like his own research where he is becoming like more and more racist against white people. And he's talking about all this research he's doing and like the personal relationships that are being affected by it. And like you really just get this idea because, I mean, you cannot go like one day on the New York times without getting like three op-eds from some racist person and how they got down the YouTube rabbit hole. And then they joined QAnon and then like, they like burned a church, but now they changed their <laughs> mind. And now like they think it's okay. And that, and sometimes you don't even get that last part. Sometimes they're still just like QAnon crazy racist people, but, right. but you don't, I feel like I don't see too many stories where people talk about getting into that opposite end of the spectrum and then getting out of it and then i that's that was one aspect that i really appreciated and like you said i was like this is this seems like the thing that should be upsetting people right it's so for me the only logical conclusion is that no one actually read the book the the people on the right didn't read the book and the people on the left will be mad also didn't read the book yeah i think that i think that honestly um i think a lot of people didn't read it yeah <laughs> because uh, I haven't seen that chapter like discussed anywhere, and I feel like it should have been huge. Um, and yep. in fact, I, you know, I was talking to a friend maybe six months ago, and she was hitting me with the whole, you know, white people can't be <laughs> the victims of racism kind of deal. And so um, I hit her with this chapter, and I happen to have it readily available because I work in a bookstore, and we were at work. And without even looking at it, without even like hearing anything, she just was like, well, just because he says it doesn't mean it's right. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) no, I hear you. Like, I totally hear you just because, you know, Dr. Kendi says this does not make it right. But like that, like that immediate dismissal is, I think, like a huge problem with this country on both ends of the spectrum. It's like this complete, complete dismissal of, like, um, expertise. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think I think in a lot of ways it's just a complete refusal to engage. And, and so that's why for me, you know, when I'm talking to people about really any kind of topic and I, like, come, I am faced with that sort of just, nope i'm like okay well then we're not really talking here are we like right we're just ta- we're talking at each other if they're if you're not even gonna like okay well let's talk about that let's like let's analyze that a little bit yeah yeah 
it's like the it, I don't know. It's the death of expertise on like like every every aspect, man. If it doesn't conform with your worldview, it does not matter who that person is or the amount of research they've done or the amount of schooling they've had. Like, well, they're just wrong because I, you know, the past six months on Twitter have told me so. <laughs> well, one of, one of my one of my professors from college just posted on Facebook because um, I have him on there. He posted uh, just got my covid vaccine. I'm going to be honest. I did not do the research. Uh, I did not go back to college and get the required uh, and get the required education and then get funding and then meet up with a team of researchers and then get it academically uh, funded and then get it in the scientific journal and have it validated through those methods i'm gonna be honest i did not do my research but i trust the people that did and i was like yeah like not to say not to say you can't research something and know about something and be you know very uh knowledgeable on a subject uh without education but i I, i'm sorry like I'm, i'm gonna listen to the scientists more often than not uh, right. when it when when the other information is coming from some random website that's not sourced and right. I don't think that should be uh, too crazy of a statement but <laughs> no it shouldn't it shouldn't but that's where we are you know well and you know and people people say oh you know Google Google sends you to certain places Bing sends you to certain places and I'm like yes absolutely that is true but also if you go on Google and you type in COVID-19 vaccine is bad, you are going to find some articles that tell you the COVID-19 vaccine is bad. It's more so more so than the certain than the than the uh, the search engines sending you where they want. The way you are phrasing what you are searching determines what you get. And right. I don't know, maybe that's it's all I, like confirmation bias, you know. Absolutely. 100%. I people want to engage with me sometimes on social media and um i'm like not one of those people i don't want to engage you you know i think i've had one engagement discussion on twitter in the last year and it was arguing with you about fucking marvel movies you know so like i just like that's just not what i'm online for um and like i'm just like not that person so when i'm on facebook and i'll see like a big like news story like the Bismarck Tribune posts the story and then like 18 to 20 people are arguing in the comments with people they don't know. It's like, what even possessed you to comment on that thing in the first place? Cause to me, there's like a level of like, where does that self-importance come from that, like, that you think people reading the Bismarck Tribune want to know your take. And then that other people want to argue with you. It just drives me crazy. But like every yeah. once in a while, I'll post something like a little political on like my Instagram story right and like people will like respond to it in this like ultra combative way like i need to explain myself it's like what are you doing dude i like when gina carano got fired i like posted some tweet onto my story uh i think making fun of the situation i don't remember and this guy writes back about shadow bands on instagram and how if you search donald trump jr like his name doesn't pop up so out of curiosity, I searched Donald Trump Jr. and his name popped right the fuck up. So I don't know what he was talking about to begin with. But second of all, it's like, what are you like? The, like, why are you like? I haven't talked to this guy by the way in like eight years. Well, you know, and like, that's and those, and those are the ones, right? That's that's how it goes. Yeah, 
It's like, I've, I don't talk to you ever. I haven't talked to you in like eight years. And when I did know you, like we worked in a building together in separate departments. Like we are social media friends because society dictates we ought to be. And because I'm too lazy to click on follow. Like at the end of the day, like that's what like a lot of social media is. Like I'm just too lazy to put in the work to scrub out these people who I don't like actually know. And this guy wants to talk to me about shadow banning and I have to defend this. I'm what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like, do you just like read everybody's stories and then the instant something a little political pops up, you're just like, boom, Donald Trump. Like, what the fuck? What, what is this? That's crazy to me. Yeah, I, 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 of course, used to be a lot more uh, heavy on the discussion train online uh, than I used to be. Definitely more than you ever have been. Um, <laughs> but. I mean, especially living in China now, I just I cannot be bothered to engage with most people on most things because it's really just not relevant to me anymore. But so I'm, I'm really only talking to people that are in my circle and we're talking about things that we like. Um, right. But I, I do uh, Instagram stories, at least for me, feel like the safest thing to do because I, I do still, of course, I still care about certain things and I still want to you know talk to them and. You know, I think if people want information, I'd like to help them get it. Um, but then if somebody wants to respond, they're responding to my story. And so it's a one on one conversation. Whereas, you know, if I post something on Facebook, somebody responds with some just absolute garbage. I can either, you know, not respond, which then just leaves this false information on my page that I didn't ask for and don't want. Or I can respond and have like a terrible conversation with them, but then at least people see me having a positive conversation with this person, and it's just right. it, it it's just so dicey. But at least but with then, the Instagram story, I can post it. One person can respond to me with one thing. I can choose whether or not I want to engage. But that's that's about as far as I'm willing to go these days. I, I don't tweet anything to. Uh, I I don't know. I just don't tweet things that get much heat as much these days. I guess, and so I don't get too many. <laughs> I don't get as many responses as I used to get. But if I'm getting responses from strangers and they're being negative, I'm like, I'm not going to respond to this unless I make a joke. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into a good faith argument with someone I don't know that probably doesn't with their anime background. Like, right. That's that. And that's that thing, that good faith argument. It's like everybody who disagrees with you online acts like they're owed a good faith argument. Like a discussion. It's like, I, I don't owe you anything. And, and you know, it's like caveat, of course. Like, I can say this stuff coming from a place of immense privilege. Because, like, a lot of the stuff that I don't want to argue about online doesn't directly affect me. And so I don't feel like I need to spend hours of my day fighting for it. Right? Right. So, I mean, calling a spade a spade there. Like, that's also a part of it. Like, I don't feel like I need to get in Facebook battles with people over certain issues because I don't feel like my life is threatened. Like if I don't get, if like these policies don't go a certain way. So that's something to be cognizant of too. And, and of course, you know, I, I completely understand that certain people are going to get like a certain sense of catharsis and safety by having those arguments, um, both on like my end of the spectrum and on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like uh, when COVID was first starting out, and uh, people were trying to decide whether or not they were going to take it seriously. 
um, I saw a lot of people posting things that I was like, okay, that's a bit over the line. But some of the stuff they were posting was like fairly reasonable. And I could, I, I, I think I posted this or I might've commented on somebody's thing where I said, these people that are like, they're doing all their quote unquote research and like, they're telling us all these conspiracies. Like it's coming from a good place. Like they're trying, like they think something bad is happening and they're trying to help, um, you know, like the save our children people. I'm like, you're trying to save kids. I get what you're saying. I just think you're going about it the wrong way. Um, right. And, and, you know, of course, there's a there's a way to do it that's, like, respectful and not just rude, um, which is hard for some people. But, again, you know, uh, most people aren't growing up having, like, serious, like, religio- re- religious, political, uh, you know, debates. They're just not used to that. And now they have to do it on the Internet where everyone can see. And, you know, it's... I think social media is going about as good as we could have possibly expected. That's kind of a loaded statement, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah. I, like when people are like, it is, like, we should be living in, like, the, the perfect society because now all this information is, is accessible. And I'm like, okay, but people didn't even read books when they had them. Like, how are now, now they, have, they have all the information and they're just supposed to magically know how to, like, understand it. I watched the... um fire festival documentaries for the oh first time last week yeah yeah for the like because i mean and this bleeds over to like i don't really like what you, you mentioned earlier i don't read nonfiction, um and there are some exceptions to the rule of course but i also don't like watch documentaries you know like it's just like not my thing um and then like out of nowhere last week i just was like you know what four years after the fact it's time to watch <laughs> yeah. So to watch these fire festival documentaries. And it was it was insane to me, you know? Yeah. Um, no, that's insane. Just like the level of well, because it's it, at one point, and this it, it just kind of drove home how like disconnected I am from a certain level of social media too. Because at one point in both documentaries, they're talking about how they did this takeover and how like hundreds of influencers posted this big yellow square and like right. then everybody knew about the fire festival and it's like i that didn't i didn't see that shit that was like the big reveal yeah yeah like i didn't see i didn't see that i didn't know the fire festival was happening and they've got nat, like ten thousand. Nat, nat geo didn't post the yellow square <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> it's like ten thousand people went to this event like this huge thing and like the way everybody was talking about it was like the whole country was talking about this festival and i'm watching this thing you know and i wasn't like eight when this went down like i was very active on social media in 2017 in 2017 like i was leaving new york and moving to north dakota like as in like a a person like buying like you know renting apartments like like a full-blown ass adult you know like very involved in society writing pomegranate actually (laughs) full circle there but like i like i'm watching this and i'm aghast at how removed from what like this huge cultural moment was you know um and so that kind of jars me a little bit about social media because like i like i think that i'm tuned in to the world based on what i see on social media right right and then like last week these documentaries dropped this bombshell on me where they're like the whole country was talking about this thing and everybody online was talking about it. And I was like, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. So like, 
the way we're in like these bubbles on social media yeah. too. We're in there's a term for it, and of course I forgot it. Echo chambers. Echo chambers. That's what it is. Yep. Yes, echo chambers. We're in these echo chambers. So that is an alarming aspect of social media. Well, and I, I, they, I've seen studies. I don't know how valid this is or not, but um, on Twitter they did a study of like people that were like left, right, center, and statistically, people that are more conservative will follow more people on the left than left will follow people on the right. Um, and so I was seeing all these people that were like, they were like, see, look, like, like the left claims are open, but they're like, they're not really like, they're in their little echo chambers. They're not really listening to everybody. And I'm like, okay, though, here's the difference though, because I follow some people on the right uh, that are like, they're fine. I can't handle most of them. And a lot of the people that on that are on the right, that are following people on the left are just constantly shit posting and talking shit to them. Like I'm right. not on I'm not on uh, Ben Shapiro's Twitter going, hey Ben Shapiro, here's why I disagree with you. I'm not I'm not gonna get into his fan base. You know what I mean? I am not gonna have an argument with those people. I'm not that not that Elon Musk is like left or I don't even know what he is politically, but like I'm not gonna go talk shit about Tesla under Elon Musk's tweets because I don't want to engage with those people. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's, yeah. it's a it's a mixed bag. I totally get you. I mean, it's a good call out too. It's like, yeah, okay. So they follow people on the left more, but what are they doing with that follow? Is that a good faith follow or are they agitators? Right. So. Yeah. No. And, and yeah, it's a mess. And is there a solution? I, I don't know. I don't have it. Well, actually I guess I have a solution for myself, which is just to mostly follow people that talk about star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like i have people like I have, have you so seen the many... have you have you seen Go the ahead. drama on twitter and i'm like what about like the new mandalorian episode or what, what, what are you talking yeah. about <laughs> like... yeah. I, I have so many people blocked on twitter and that's like a new tool that i discovered in the last six months like the ability to just like never have to see shit i don't want to see again <laughs> right it's been a godsend well, and that's that's even with uh, even with Star Wars Twitter, um, you know, every because obviously the Star Wars fandom is toxic and terrible and just like one of the, you know, what's the what's the quote from uh, A New Hope? You'll you'll never see a larger hive oh, more... scum and villainy or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But so, you know, it's like every other week, like somebody's like, oh, this Star Wars person is like talking about like murdering this other Star Wars person. Um and I'm always just like, wait, who are all these people? Because I've just had them blocked for so long because I literally just see like one thing where they're just like, you know, like they'll, they'll talk shit about uh, Rose's character in The Last Jedi. And I'm like, cool, blocked. Like, <laughs> done. done. And then they're like, oh, this person just got found out for being a child molester. And I'm like, which guy? Oh, the guy I muted because he doesn't like Rose. Like I did that like three years ago. Like, right. of course, I haven't been seeing his tweets. Like, it's a healthier thing to do, I think. Yeah, we're about I mean, to healthy, the healthiest <laughs> thing would probably just be to get off the whole thing, but it's, I just, I learned too much, right? But then I'm like addicted to it, so right, that's its own there's, problem. There's a healthy medium somewhere, and when I find that person, <laughs> I will. <laughs> 
I will have that conversation with us. Okay. So while I was recording the first hour, um, one of my friends, she's been staying with me the last couple of days because she had food poisoning. So she wanted someone to like nurse her. And um, so she's been staying with me. And so I got home and I was like, I'm going to do a podcast with my friend, John. And she said, what's a podcast? And I said, she's Chinese. Uh, and I was like, you know what it is. Like, I, I record it with my friends. I did it just like two weeks ago. You know, you know what this is. And she says, okay, yeah, like the BBC. And I was like, maybe, I don't know. So, <laughs> so I'm talking to you and she comes in. You probably, I don't know if you, if it'll show up on the audio or not, but she kept coming in and like talking to me and I'm just like mouthing, like, I can't talk to you. I'm doing a podcast and she gives me like a thumbs up, opens all the windows and then leaves. <laughs> what? I, um, I heard birds chirping at some yeah, point. That, so, yeah, that was because she, for some reason, opened the window. She opened the window, asked me if I owned a camera. I said no. And then she nodded and then grabbed her backpack, said bye and, and walked out the door. <laughs> <laughs> what a life. Yeah. Yep. That that is it it's a funny story but it's, it's it's I swear to god it seems like it's the kind of thing that happens to me every single day. <laughs> Where I'm like I'm commu- I'm communicating right now. I swear to god I'm communicating. And it's is there's just there's no communication going on. <laughs> I just oh man, you know, um out of nowhere tonight in the fits of my like whatever you want to call what's happening to my body. Um, I put on how I met your mother for the first time since my sophomore year of college. And that was a choice that has really brought me back. (laughs) Well, when you, when you were talking about how um, people identify you, like when they talk to you about pomegranate, um, they're like identifying with you and they're like, yeah, you're the good guy. And you're like, no, like you're supposed to like realize that, I'm being a real piece of shit. My the my first thought was how I met your mother. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's I was like, t- it's Ted Mosby syndrome. Like, it's literally like I'm watching. I watched like five episodes before we got on the the podcast. Um, and like I I'd planned on like going to sleep, but I got sucked in. Um, and I was just like reliving in utter horror, like how much of my personality was like modeled on ted mosby (laughs) well do you do you do you remember when i called you ted mosby and you got mad vaguely i I, i'd be lying if i could give you the beat but for beat i think i don't i don't so i think it was you me maddie and Allie, and we were having we were having dinner before we were gonna go see a movie i don't remember what the movie was but we were at like paper towns okay so okay so you remember this better than i do actually um and i was like john you're ted mosby and you were like i will you were like i will not sit here and take this right now like you were like <laughs> you were like genuinely angry and maddie was like no no it's fair and Allie was like i don't think that's true and we were like Allie, you barely know him like <laughs> yeah no i mean it's alarming it's like super alarming like i was watching it and it was like Oh my God, I was so insufferable when I was 19 because I was watching <laughs> Ted Mo. I was watching that show religiously, you know, at, at 19 at the time when 
the beginning like stuff that would inspire pomegranate like was like really going down like when i was in the throes of the most dramatic and depressing period of my life i was like clinging to how i met your mother and it is so obvious like in who i like was and like in in some ways like am a little bit like reactionarily i don't know if that's a word but sounds right but so much of my personality is a reaction against that uh, now, you know, which is like, and it is in its own way weird to think about, like, realize. Right. I've been watching a lot of media lately that's forced me to, like, reckon with, like, where the various strands of my personality, like, has come from. Right. Um, and it's been happening a lot, a lot, a lot more recently. Because I keep deciding to go on these nostalgia trips, being like, oh, I loved this movie when I was 18. I loved this movie when I was 19. I haven't watched it in years. Let's watch it again. And it's almost like um, time travel. It's this weird form of communication with my younger self. And it's uh, exhilarating and frightening and alarming. And it's scary to know myself in that way. And I I don't love it. That's that's one. So, um, living in China, like I don't have Netflix, I don't have Hulu, um, so and I don't I don't know how to pirate stuff. So I'm basically just watching anime, and then anytime somebody's like, "Do you want to watch this movie?" I'm like, "Yes," because um, you know I used to watch movies all the time, and now like like I saw like Minari like last week, and I was so stoked to see that. Um, but I I kind of like. Um, like like you were saying like revisiting things after i haven't seen it for a couple of years because when i was in when i was in the states like i'm like i like this movie i'm gonna watch it like once or twice a year and then i'm not really getting too much out of it besides just like the comfort of seeing the thing that i already like whereas yeah. now i i watched uh i rewatched almost famous have you seen almost famous you know i've it's a huge gap in my my viewing i've not seen it um i haven't watched it in years and uh, I was watching it, and it was interesting to just see, like, which characters I was like, oh, I did not think that guy was cool when I was a kid, and now that I'm an adult, he's a lot cooler than the character that the kid in this movie thinks is cool. Like, right. when I was, like, I, like, I was watching the movie at the same age as the main character, who was, like, this kid in high school, and he's got all these, like, role models and all these guys he don't, like, thinks are lame, and now, like, as an adult, I'm like, oh this makes more sense now. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I, I do think it's interesting. I get these like weird emotional triggers from these like pieces of media um, that like have inspired facets of who I am in like weird ways. Have you ever seen the movie stuck in love with Greg Kinnear and Jennifer Connelly? No, it's not a good movie. Like objectively, <laughs> like objectively, it's not. But I saw it for the first time when I was like 19. And then I watched it every day for like four months because then it was my whole personality. And Dude. my entire music taste is based on the soundtrack of that film. It's super weird. But like there's this scene where the young guy, so he's like a writer whose favorite writer is Stephen King and his favorite novel of all time is It. So as you can imagine, like at Yikes. 19, I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Like at 19, I was like, this is it. This is, I feel so seen. Um, he like pulls, like he's in the car with his love interest 
who is like interested, but like aloof emotionally, which was also at the time very relatable. And they're in a car and it's pouring. And he's like, I just want you to listen to like this song. It's like my favorite song. And he plays Between the Bars um, by Elliot Smith. And it's like, it's played earnestly. You know, like there's these two kids and he's in love with her and he plays this song for her and they listen to it in the car as it's raining. And they have this deep emotional connection over music. And the movie treats this utterly ridiculous scene with like respect because yeah. when you are when you are that age that moment is your whole world like that moment is the most authentic emotional self you've ever been and you think you ever will be and so i was rewatching this last year at 26 thinking like you know i know objectively this is ridiculous but i had like this strong emotional response to the authenticity of emotion on screen. I was like yeah. crying for no reason. Cause again, <laughs> it was like, it was like communication with my 19 yeah. year old self. Like it was like, I was watching and communicating and feeling those same feelings. It's, it's jarring what like music and images and media can do like with our memory and how it manifests in the present. Absolutely. Well, and so um, Rob and I have actually talked about this a, a lot. Um, how he says he thinks this is really part of the reason YouTube grabs onto people so much because you just you let somebody talk to you. It's just you in the screen, you know, like because a, a, a computer screen or a phone screen is even more personal than a TV or a theater screen. And then you let them talk to you. It's just you two. And then you've got the music like put anything someone says to music and it's already like three times more convincing. Right. Um, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, these YouTube videos where it's just this guy and he's like, he's like, and if you're not doing this and then the music, it's like, -na 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 -na. you know, it's like the, uh, what's, what's that from? Uh, the Jared Leto movie where he does meth. Requiem for a dream. <laughs> you know, it's got the record. Like, -na 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 -na. Yeah. Like, <laughs> put that music behind anything and you're like all right you know what you got me i'm convinced <laughs> I, I, yeah i think there's value in that observation absolutely i agree and i think i think too on like like maybe like the darker side of that coin is um you know you've got like these star wars fans but like you're like oh which star wars do you like and they're like the original one it's like oh what else do you like And they're like not any of them i hate them all <laughs> like yeah and it's like, okay, well, that's just because you saw it when you were eight years old with your dad and you've never felt that way since. Like, right. You can't, that is not, that doesn't give you an excuse to bully Daisy Ridley off social media. Right. Yeah. I work with a guy who's a very nice guy. He's a poet, self published poet. You know, he's got stuff out there and he's good. He's a good writer. Um, but he is like a Star Wars fan. And I, I always I always mess with him um, and I rib him a little bit because he's like, he's not a fan. And I tell him this all the time, you know, to be a fan, you have to actually like. Yes. The, you have to yeah. actually like the thing. Yeah. You know, that's what being a fan is. He's like all about the originals um, and like legends. He loves legends. This guy goes out of his way all the time to like buy out of print hardcover books from like 20 years ago and to his credit he's reading them it's not like he's like 
hate buying anything. Like yeah. he, he genuinely likes the stories and everything. And he goes to all the new movies. He just doesn't really like them. Um, but <laughs> he's like, doesn't read, like he doesn't read any of the new books. He's just stuck in that rut of reading all this old stuff. And he, like, we get into, like, arguments all the time, like, friendly ones, because we're at work. And he's always, it's always just, like, I always end it by being, like, Nick, you're not a fan. Like, you have to like it. You have to like the stuff. If you like something that came out 40 years ago or 20 years ago, like, with the Legends books, you used to be a fan. But you're not, like, the material has Right, right. (laughs) Like, the material has now grown beyond you. And it's okay to not like it anymore and not be a fan. Like, I'm not going to advocate and sit here and tell you that you have to like the new movie. But don't walk around and talk about how you're the biggest Star Wars fan in the world because you no longer are. Yeah. No, totally fair. And and for me, um, and maybe this is, you know, as someone who, like, The Phantom Menace is the first movie I remember seeing in theaters. So Star Wars is, like, very, like, as far as just, like, film itself goes star wars is like a really big part of it for me um because my dad obviously my my dad saw new hope when it came out with his dad when he was a kid and they Mm -hmm. loved it and they talked about it and that was like a big part of their relationship and then it's me it's me and my dad it's a big part of our relationship so then now as you know i'm somebody who was in college when the when disney bought it and the new movie started coming out i'm I I also know kids that like this is their first Star Wars and I'm like cool like you're excited about this the way I was excited about it I'm not excited about it the way I was excited about it when I was four (laughs) because I'm no longer four years old but now I'm excited (laughs) for it in different ways and part of that excitement is me being excited because you're excited about it because you know I'm, I'm sure you experienced this as well uh when someone you look up to is excited about something, it makes you excited. You know, I was excited about star Wars in part because my dad was excited about star Wars. Yeah. And so then you've absolutely. got all these people and they're just like, they're like, star Wars is garbage now. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, dude, maybe, but like, <laughs> you can't like, like the people like one of my favorite things about the new series is just like seeing like little kids dressed up as Ray and Kylo Ren. Yeah, like, like there's and they go to Disney and they see Ray and they're more excited to see Ray than they are to see Mickey Mouse. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, that's my that's shit. Like, yeah, you, you, you can't tell me you can't tell me that they 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 do this. The sequel trilogy, Luke Skywalker's the main character. Han Solo is the main character. It's him, Leia and Chewie. And they go on these adventures. You can't tell me that you're going to have a dude dressed up like Luke Skywalker at Disney. And those little kids are as excited to see Luke Skywalker as they are to see Ray. Like they're more excited about Ray. They're not going to be excited about some old guy and right. nothing against old people. But like how many Disney characters at Disney World are old people? None of them, like except for the dwarves, I guess. <laughs> like, Right. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. You are. Thank you. It, That's all I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but you are. I mean, it just kind of kills me, especially – what gets me the most is these people who are like the prequels were good movies actually tm um and the sequels are bad it's like yeah. ah, dude i love the prequels i think you know um revenge of the sith is my favorite star wars movie but i'm not going to sit here and act 
like they're objectively well like good movies yeah <laughs> you know well i like those movies because that's what i was seeing in theaters as a kid yep and, well and you know and and again this is this is coming from me a star wars fan uh <laughs> like i was this was with my uh my ex-girlfriend she'd never seen any of the star wars movies so i was like okay like let's watch let's start with a new hope so we're watching it because you know china is, or is is not big on star wars at all for right. the most part and um so we're watching it and we've got chinese subtitles but they're speaking in english and so she keeps asking me she's like what does that mean what does that mean like what is what is what is what is tashi station like what are power converters like what, what's a tatooine what's a moss Eisley? and i'm like they're all made up words they don't mean anything like they don't matter and she's like well then why are they saying them and i'm like <laughs> okay i finally understand why this is like not translatable to a foreign audience like right you know and like and so much of star wars and when i say star wars i mean like a new hope like the original one like you watch that movie remove like all the nostalgia from it it's like a, it's a great movie i'll defend it i think it's a good movie but man like there's like some really cheesy dialogue there's not much to the story like so much of it is just like inspired by other things like a lot of the great shots are just kurosawa shots like and 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 it's great and i love it but like you know the people that are like yeah these new movies are trash i'm like well here's the thing bro <laughs> <laughs> the the original trilogy is also not that good. Like removed from the nostalgia, Empire Strikes Back, solid film. But like you really can't have it without a new hope. And then you've got yeah. Return of the Jedi, which to be frank, sucks ass. Like <laughs> And I it's, love it's, that movie. It's near the bottom of my rankings for sure. Yeah, so that's 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 why like I'm not fun like when people don't like Star Wars or like when they say they're fans but they don't actually like it, I'm like the worst person for them to talk to cuz they're like I'm like, "Oh, you think the Disney movies suck?" <laughs> like, yeah. Let me tell all the things wrong with the thing you care about and then and then we'll go from there. Yeah. No, and I hear that. You know, I I just I like uh, are you on Reddit at all? Not at all. There's a do you know about prequel memes? memes about the prequels yeah it's like a subreddit on there prequel memes oh no i mean i yeah i I know of memes i didn't know there was a subreddit for it yeah well it used to be my favorite subreddit you know i've been on reddit for i don't know like five years you know and prequel memes is probably like the first thing i joined it was like the first big community i had uh around rise of skywalker i left the subreddit um, because the lack of self-awareness amongst this fandom. This is a subreddit dedicated to the idea that the prequels are actually misunderstood. They grew up with the prequels, and the prequels are good, actually. And it's a place to celebrate them. And it just turned into, like, constant sequel bashing. And yeah, it was yeah. like, do you realize that in 10 to 15 years... Like sequel memes will be what you guys are, and it, right. like, and the whole spirit of the thing to me is like embracing the knowledge that these movies are not good, but we like them anyway. And right. so when it became like this whole like thing against the sequels, it was like to me, there is no self awareness amongst any person, like in yeah. this subreddit, none, zilch, zero. And I just left because I don't feel like uh, spending my whole day looking at memes about how Ray is a Mary Sue. That's just not how I want to spend my right. time. Um, 
<laughs> man, I was going to say something, but I thought about something else, which is like, it made me laugh so hard. I lost what I was thinking about. Cause I saw, I saw a tweet the other day. It said, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a Mary Sue. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I laughed so hard. Like, and I retweeted it immediately. And then I was like, I, against my better judgment, I'm going to go into the mentions to just see people losing their minds. And nobody was even, like, nobody was even saying anything. And I was like, man, you said something so funny that even like the, the people that don't know that you're making a joke aren't, they're not even going to be engaged. Like, right. Um, Scale. Man, what was I going to say? Oh, I was so like Star Wars. It's you know, you could call it like an homage to Flash Gordon, but I think that's almost giving it like too much credit. You know what I mean? And yeah. those like no one's talking about that except for Seth MacFarlane in Ted um, <laughs> from the unlikeliest of sources. Scholarly debate emerges. Yeah, you know, and it's funny though because. Um, you know, I, I like the prequels, too, of course, because I'm a fan of Star Wars. But, um, <laughs> you know, Lord of the Rings, yeah. Return of the King is my favorite movie of all time. And uh, I don't think I'm going to rewatch the Hobbit series, like, especially certainly not on my own. Um, and I, I wonder if we'll ever get to like a Hobbit renaissance. You know, I never. I never finished the hobbit series well there you go i i saw i saw the last one in theaters and i can't hear you not you're not still talking what just happened can you hear me now yes what just whoa yes i can hear you now um so i watched i watched the so before i saw the final hobbit we watched all of the lord of the rings extended editions both Hobbit movies and then went and saw the last Hobbit movie in theaters. And that was the last time I saw it. And actually I think that was the last time I watched any of the Hobbit movies was during that marathon, which was like 16 hours and was just endless beer and Adderall. Um, And yeah, I I, I have not watched, I have not watched them since. And I, I like, I just, I don't see, I don't see like 10 years from now, like some like neck beards on Twitter being like, actually the Hobbit series is really misunderstood. Like I think, I think <laughs> at least, at least so far in society, we're all kind of just like, yeah, you know what? That, that was not very good. That was a misfire. I saw the first two in theaters and then I just was like, that's nah, good for me. I just never saw the third. Yeah. No, I mean, realistically, even if, like, the third one had been amazing, it doesn't, like, change the fact that the first two leading up to it were just, like, soulless and empty. The CGI really threw me. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's worse than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because they've got all those people in prosthetics in Lord of the Rings, and it looks very real. Like, the orcs and stuff. I mean, the main villain of the movie's well, I say that not having watched the third, so maybe that's not the main villain. But that orc, no, it's, you know, it's the same dude. Yeah, he. <laughs> it looks like a cartoon. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah not scary at all. Because, because, like, in no way are you like that person is there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas, like Lurtz, who has what, like, maybe two lines of dialogue, and then mm-hmm. like ten like warthog noises uh 
like that 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 sword fight with Aragorn, you're like, man, like is that guy okay? Like, did did, <laughs> did he survive this fight? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you just said. Like, in no way is the villain in the Hobbit movies there, but like in the Lord of the Rings, they were all people in prosthetics and makeup. And very convincing looking prosthetics and makeup, you right. know, like they all look very real. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're they still will... they're still creepy, even though I first saw them like, geez, 15 years ago. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, Phantom Menace is your first like movie theater memory. Yeah. Um, but mine is Fellowship of the Ring. Like, oh, I geez. definitely saw Phantom Menace in theaters yep. like two yep. years prior, but. Fellowship of the Ring is my first memory of being in the theater and watching a movie. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> no, it's I actually saw it at the uh, that theater out in Port Ritchie on 19. Oh yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I saw it with my dad, and what I specifically remember is like the Lurch fight. So it's funny you brought that up. But then, and. <sighs> This is like 20 years ago. Um, and I remember this clear as day. The movie ends uh, with Sam and Frodo, like off mm-hmm. on their own. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, we're going to go to the, to, you know, the tower. And they're pointing at Mordor. And then the credits roll. And a, the woman in front of us is like, that's it? That's the whole movie? It's a three-hour movie. <laughs> We just watched this three-hour film, and the woman's immediate response was that she couldn't believe it was over. Yeah. And my dad actually told her, there's going to be three movies. This is part one. (laughs) You know, this is like part one. There's going to be two more. And the woman was like aghast that she (laughs) she was like, it's not over? He's like, <laughs> I twenty years on, I still remember, because I, I feel like the memory that like the reason it's lingered with me is the emotion associated with that is that like as a child I thought my dad was being like a cool guy, you know, like oh like being helpful. There's still two more movies, um, but like now like I'm thinking about it and I'm like I think even at that young age I recognize the absurdity of watching a three hour film and being like that's it. <laughs> it's over (laughs) like like if that movie had gone on for nine hours like if it had gone the full runtime and like it had ended she was like all right yep like like she didn't she wasn't questioning the length of time like or did she just think like they were just gonna hoof it for like 20 minutes to mordor (laughs) and then that's it (laughs) movie over and then it's done yeah she's like all right they nailed it like that's so funny I went out Saturday night. We have a new uh, work friend. Her name is Shotzi. She just moved here from New York. So she doesn't like know anybody in town. So we've been like trying to like get her to know people. And my bud Kevin came out. He hasn't been out in over a year because he has diabetes. So COVID was a real concern for him. But he's like all vaccinated and everything, you know. So we went out. And we're sitting there and she is very drunk at this point and either myself or my friend tony bring up the lord of the rings she's like you know 
I tried to read those books. <laughs> we were like, did you? She goes, but I had to put it down because all they did was walk. They were walking <laughs> and then the new chapter, they were walking and then I read another chapter and guess what? They were still walking. And my buddy, Tony, he's like, well, I'll tell you what, you stopped just one chapter too early. And she's like, <laughs> and she's like why? What happens? He like leans in, like all conspiratorially. He's like, then they run. <laughs> and she was just drunk enough where that was the funniest thing she'd ever heard in her life. You know, she was That's dying. Great. That was, it's uh, kind of insane to me the level in which the Lord of the Rings is permeated like the zeitgeist. Yeah. That we're talking about it right now. And like just two nights ago, we were talking about the books over drinks. Well, and it, it is interesting because, you know, a lot of people I know that aren't big readers, um, like they'll see Lord of the Rings and they'll be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to read that. Like, I enjoyed this movie. I'm going to read that book. And everybody gets to Tom Bombadil and then they're like, I can't do this anymore. Like, what, what, what is this book? Like, <laughs> like I, I enjoy Lord of the Rings, but man, like those things are textbooks and uh, I think it, I don't know why Tolkien chose to do it this way, but you know, splitting it up where it's like, okay, so book one is going to be about Aragorn doing his shit. Book two is going to be Frodo and Sam. It's like, bro, Frodo and Sam are just walking. Like at least when you're watching the movies, it's like cut up. Yeah. But like, can you imagine if like the Lord of the Rings was, it just starts with Frodo and then, you know, the fellowship happens and then they go about their business, but then we just stay with Frodo <laughs> And then they get to Mordor, and then, like, that's it? Like, good no. lord. Like, no. Andy Circus can only carry so much weight. I rewatch the extended cuts, like, once a year, right? Yep. And if I'm feeling, like, really adventurous, I watch them twice a year. And on the second rewatch of the year, I fast-forward through Fred and Sam stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... I mean, it's too much for me it is it is well yeah because you can realistically stick around for andy circus kicking ass and then just pick one sam speech you know <laughs> it's the two towers for me bro oh i mean and that's probably the best one i would it's my favorite there's some but good other, in this world mr Frodo. for me so for me actually growing up I would never watch the Frodo and Sam scenes because I was so scared of Gollum. Like I couldn't watch those scenes. And so like skipping the Frodo and Sam scenes, that was like just normal for me. It wasn't even until I got old enough to not have to share a bedroom with my brothers because I'm terrified of Gollum <laughs> that I actually started watching the Frodo and Sam scenes. And I was like, Oh, these kind of, uh, kind of do the same thing over and over again. Don't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They really do. You know, in the, I no longer remember um, what the movies are like in the regular cut. Like I've I've only watched the extended oh, editions yeah. for yeah, like same. the last, you know, like ten years. Um, the only one that I have like a really good understanding of some of the cuts is Return of the King, uh, and I get that the movie is like just oppressively long, but some of those cuts still make no sense to me. Oh yeah. Like Saruman, like you just like if you just watch the theatrical versions, you never find out what happens to him. 
Yeah, no, I, I remember when the movie came out and I remember they it was literally front page news. They were like, what happened to Saruman? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. They, they were like, Lord of the, they were like, this Lord of the Rings movie is incredibly long and they still somehow didn't have enough time to manage covering like where like basically the main villain is because Sauron is an eyeball on top of a tower. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah, and then they just have the the Palantir, you know, like Aragorn just has it in the third act. It's like how the how did he get that shit? What? I love uh, how like we're, t- we're we're talking about things we really really enjoy, and it's like ninety five percent us talking shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> the sign of a true fan. I shouldn't say that after what I just said about Star Wars. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're lovingly talking shit. Oh yeah, I love these movies. Yeah, not the Hobbit ones though. But I'm, right. Right. I'm not a Hobbit fan. <laughs> Gosh, until he made those movies, I could say I was a Peter Jackson epic fan because you got the Lord of the Rings and you've got King Kong, which I stand by. His King Kong. Yeah, you are you are a huge King Kong fan. That yes, uh, and then. Than the Hobbit movies. Have you seen the new King Kong? Do you have any any interest in that at all? Yeah, I saw the new Godzilla vs Kong. That was the first movie I saw, um, in like a in a theater with other people actually in oh. over in over a year because uh, we've been to the movies three times prior, and I rented out an auditorium each time. You know, so we could just like be alone and not have to worry about safety. But the the times we went to the theater, the building itself was empty. And so we had just gotten the first shot. King Kong was coming out. Um, I love King Kong. I love Godzilla. And I was like, well, the theaters are always empty. There's not going to be anybody there. So we bought tickets and our showing was fucking sold out. <laughs> wow. So we were in there with a packed house. Everybody had masks on for the movie. Um, I have noticed a, a difference in the reaction to people who watched the movie at home and people who saw it in the theater, because yeah, I thought I that imagine. shit slapped, you know, but I saw it on the big screen. Right. And I've talked to a few people who just watched it at home on HBO Max, and they were like, yeah, I was kind of, I wasn't that good. I didn't really like it. Well, I do, I do think, um, I'm not a studio executive, but... You know, if a movie is going to get people to come back to theaters, like King Kong versus Godzilla makes sense. Like these are two big names; they're literally giant monsters, and they're going to fight each other. Like it's not rocket science, um, but like there is a story people care about. Like these are King Kong and Godzilla are like characters people care about. They're not just like giant transformer robots. Um, so like it makes sense to me that like they did that and it did well. Um, I saw Tenet the other day. <laughs> I haven't seen that still. You have not seen it? Well, I, I don't have a desire to, so I'm like really interested to hear your take on it. Well, I was I was just gonna say if you haven't seen it, like there's there's definitely no rush. Um <laughs> Okay. Like I, I watched like I wa- like I saw Inception and when I saw Inception I was like, wow, I like I don't know what just happened, but you know, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, when I saw Interstellar, I was like, okay, I don't know what happened, but I enjoyed parts of that movie. 
and I saw Tenet and I said, wow, I have no idea what just happened. And I did not enjoy any part of that movie. <laughs> it's a bad trajectory. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he's not been doing too hot uh, with, with me, which is, I think, who he should be listening to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, like, I, I just feel like, like it was a weird... I, and, like, I know he pushed for it to be open in theaters. Uh, but yep. yeah, I was, I was like, I don't think this, this was not the movie that was going to save the theater industry. No. Um, and you know, like, I, I love the, the main actor. Uh, what's his name? John David Washington. I always, mm-hmm. I, I love him. Um, have you seen the movie with him and Zendaya? Malcolm and Marie. No, I haven't Malcolm seen and it. Malcolm Marie. That one's good. I, I highly recommend that one. Uh, it, it looked like a me kind of movie. Yeah, it's it's very it's very much like uh, a screenwriter wrote that movie. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, right. Um, so that's great. I mean, like, I, and I loved him in Black Klansman, and but I was like, like, I was like, he's not a like he's not a big enough star yet to get people in the seats. You know, like. Inception is a pretty weird concept, but you've got Leonardo DiCaprio in the lead. You've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You've got Ellen Page, Tom Hardy. Uh, you know, people are willing to go on Christopher Nolan's rides. You know, Interstellar, you've got Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey. People are willing to, like, take a ride uh, if you've got, like, the right names on there. And, you know, I love Washington, like I said, and I love um, Robert Pattinson. But, you know, they're not the ones. They're not, they're not filling the seats yet. Yeah, right. They're not lighting the box office on fire. You're not getting the Twilight fans <laughs> to, to to go see Tenet. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, you're just not Definitely getting Definitely not. But you I mean, you would probably know more about what film executives are thinking than I did because you worked at the theater for how many years? <sighs> 3 years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just so unprecedented. It's hard to know what they're thinking. I mean, like Disney postponed Black Widow from May to July, and then they announced like a simultaneous Disney Plus plus theater release, you know? Um, and they did that move, and then like a week later, King Kong showed up to the box office and like did like really good money. So I have to imagine Disney's probably kicking themselves in the ass over the that decision uh, to do that because like the box office isn't perfect. King Kong first Godzilla would have made a lot more money in other circumstances, but that came out, you know, in March and black widow was poised to come out near the end of May. If I'm not mistaken, like, I think like the two months would have been enough time. Like, and now it's, and now it's it's safer still. Four months is safer than two months. Like a lot of people will be vaccinated by July, and uh, Marvel will get people to go to the theater. I am curious to see though if Black Widow is an event movie. Like, because for me, if you're gonna put it on Disney Plus too, like I might just watch it on Disney Plus, man. You know. I, I, I was watching, I saw a video the other day. It was, um, I think it was on Jimmy Kimmel or something. One of those shows. And uh, it was Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson. And Scarlett Johansson made some joke about Iron Man. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. said something along the lines of, like, at least I have a character arc. <laughs> and I was just like, 
dang, like you you didn't have to hit her like that. Like <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. I mean, no, like she's I mean, I would say like she's she's the least amount of character, but then I thought about Hawkeye, but I was like, well, I guess at least Hawkeye has a family. Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean he has he has like his own arc. Uh like Black Widow has sort of an arc, and this this new movie will give her like some stuff. But I mean, the trailer for Shang Chi dropped today. Did you see that? I did. That looks dope. Yeah, I mean, like my ass is gonna go see that in that theater. <laughs> but like Black Widow, like I might watch that one at home. <laughs> so I don't know. Did you see uh, Wonder Woman? Yes, I saw that. That was one of the ones I rented. On Christmas Day, I rented a theater out as, like, a Christmas gift for my wife. That was another one. I saw that in theaters, and um, my my response to it was very different from people who stayed home to watch it. There's just something about seeing this stuff on this big screen. Yeah, it's, it's just a different, it's a different experience. Well, um, so, yeah, like, I, a lot of, like, my favorite movie experiences are theater-related, because you get, you know, you get that big response. Um <laughs> Like when I saw Get Out, um, the theater was pretty packed and the crowd was like pretty lively. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, for like the first hour where it's like, you know, not too much is going on and there's like some jokes, like everybody was like pretty quiet. Like people were like laughing, but nobody's, you know, being too loud. And then, you know, you get to that final act and people were just going crazy. And right. then, you know, the final scene where uh, the uh, police lights come on and he's there on the ground, man, like I started crying. Like, I don't know if I had been in that theater by myself, would I have cried when that scene happened? Probably not. But just yeah. like, the response from the audience where the police lights comes on and everybody just goes, oh, fuck, like this is not good. And then I'm just like, shit, like the American audience is, is like, we're, we're, we know to react negatively when the police show up. And I'm just like crying about that and like just feeling it. And if it had been just me, I don't know. I don't think that would have happened. Well, that's the communal experience. You know, I mean, did you see uh, Endgame in theaters? I did. Yeah. When Captain America grabbed the fucking hammer, dude, my theater exploded, you know, and it creates. It just emotionally it changes the whole thing. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's part of why those why the Marvel movies one of the reasons that this, there's tons of reasons that they do well, but I do think that is a big part of it. Like everybody knows what's going on. You know, when 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 Captain America gets that hammer, like even if you haven't seen all all the Marvel movies, like you still understand. Like oh shit, like that's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Right. Like that's a big moment, and you know that. Yes. Uh. I just got wow. an email from work. <laughs> it's like everybody's starting their day. I just got a work email. I hear my wife upstairs. She's getting up, getting ready to go to work. <laughs> what a time. You're, 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 you're a madman. Like, you don't even sound that tired. Like, I, I like when, I, when you were like, hey, man, I was like, oh, shit. John sounds like we're talking at the same time. Like, <laughs> well, you know, it's like, just slipping into my old habits when when i met cheyenne when i first met my wife and she lived in california and i lived here she was two hours behind me sometimes three hours behind me and she would wake up for the day and i hadn't even been to bed yet you know um it really wasn't until 
she like moved in with me here and like forced me to be like a normal adult human being that I got any, <laughs> any semblance of a normal sleep schedule, but left to my own devices, this is just what I do. So I guess I... it's not really left to my own devices. It's like the COVID vaccine was more or less like you're going to be up tonight. And I thought might as well just talk to Andrew now instead of tomorrow. Right. I'm not mad about it. No, me either. Worked out. Well, I am. I think I'm going to let you go, though. I got to go grab dinner here pretty soon. And... <laughs> grab dinner. <laughs> yep. you can... It's not even 6 a.m. here. Right. You can you can chat with your wife a little bit and then maybe <laughs> go to sleep. Or probably yeah. just end up watching How I Met Your Mother. for. Yeah. That's probably what's going to happen. Until, until you get to some girlfriend of Ted Mosby's that just hits you the wrong way and then you're like fuck this I'm done done that's gonna happen I've been braced I'm so glad that you know me well enough to have called <laughs> that out because that is going to happen and um, it's gonna cause me to take like a four hour break <laughs> <laughs> alright man well I love you love you talking. thanks for having better. me on yeah, yeah thanks man. this was cool this podcast is like long, huh? Uh, this it, they usually go about two hours. Wow! All right, sounds so, good. Get get ready to listen to yourself for two hours. Well, I, I want to go and listen to since I'm not sleeping, I'll probably just go listen to the the one you did with Maddie. I'm not. This is gonna surprise you, but I'm not like a podcast person, like at all. Um, I commend people who have the time to listen to them but mm-hmm. i like i'm always like i'm gonna listen to a podcast you know and i'll get in the car and then where i live i'm only in the car for like eight minutes at a time <laughs> sure. I, I live in bismarck north dakota so i like i listened to your first two episodes and it took me about three weeks jesus <laughs> because i listened to them in like such tiny little interstitials right so, um very excited to dive in because I I think I read on Facebook that the Maddie one was really good. The the Maddie one, I mean, at least based off the numbers, it, it did the most numbers. So doesn't someone, someone enjoyed it. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for having me on, man. All right, love you, man. Love you too. Bye. Bye.